Welcome to Unlock Your Soul with yours truly, Anthony Your Soul. This is a space where we get to um, scratch beneath the surface and find out what really makes us human. Today, I am with a gentleman who, a couple of years back, way before COVID and stuff, he Googled me online and then got me to... Um, and as we do that, someone here needs to get some work. Can you... Arpan, can you... Okay, let's just give it to... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry guys, I was giving somebody the phone to record this intro so that this guy can remember how I met him. So I met Zian a couple of years back, six, I don't know, five or six years ago, when COVID wasn't wasn't even in, like, in the in the horizon. And he Googled me and called me to his school to go and perform in the school. And he told me all about this amazing um, initiative that he was handling about menstrual health and menstrual hygiene. I mean, it was like, what? This young boy doing all these great things. And then I got to meet the guy and I really understood that it wasn't just smokes and mirrors or hype. He really is the real deal. So today I'm so honored to have the man, the boy who became the man from the days of Khan Academy Mombasa to now uh, having his own startup. I mean, all the way in Canada, in one of the world's biggest economies. I mean, my goodness, how times change. From a boy to a man, not and only, Zian Virji is in the house. Thank you, thank you. Has thank anybody you. ever given you such an such an, an introduction? Nah, this one's this one's special. This yeah, if, for me. yeah. I feel like I feel like you need to have your rider. Everybody who interviews you needs to say all those things. Facts. From a boy to a man. So let's start off with first. You are back in Kenya, Karibu, Kenya. Asante, Sana. Since you left school, you know you you know you didn't leave school since you cleared school. Yes, sir. And then we went to uni. And I see you still have those Akam behaviors of, <laughs> of always calling me sir. Why do you like calling me sir? Because you're a sir, man. Oh, God. <laughs> sir, sir, sir. You're Mr. Sir. Is it, is, by the way, speaking of which, is it like something that you was ingrained in you in school at Akam? That you yeah, have I feel to, like, like it's just like for respect. Like wow. it's a Mr. Or like sir. It's so, I find that so, so nice. Because yeah. I mean, I saw kids from your school could honestly behave the way they wanted to. I mean, you have kids who have like come from like rich backgrounds or whatever, but they're always very respectable and respectful. So let's go back to growing up in Tanzania um, and being Ismaili. Is that how you say mm. it? So tell me more about growing up in Tanzania, how you ended up at Akam, which is Khan Academy of Mombasa. How yeah. did that happen? Yeah, for sure. So, first of all, thank you for having me on the You're podcast. You're very, very welcome. Extremely honored to have my soul unlocked. Yes, it's time, <laughs> man. Um, but yeah, I mean, my story started when just growing up. So, I was born and raised in Tanzania. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew up in a, as an Ismaili Muslim. Mm -hmm. And I was really ingrained in my community. And one of the uh, values that we had growing up, and I was told from a very early age that as a person, you always have a responsibility to give back and values of service. And so from a very early age, my parents involved me in every opportunity to serve, be it in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, we would, you know, have to bring water for the senior citizens or mm -hmm. arrange the shoes in the mosque mm -hmm. or serve food to in during our events. Mm -hmm. um, so from things like that to, you know, being in scouts, for example, um, so cubs and scouts and we would 
be taught how to camp and how to go into different communities and do different kind of projects. And so that was ingrained in me from a very early age. Yeah. Um, and that value of giving back, I think, was extremely powerful just yeah. in my family, in my in my religion. Yeah. And but as I started growing up until I was 15, um, I slowly started losing that and mm-hmm. doing some of these things was more about because my friends are doing it. Yeah. It was more of like a social thing versus actually doing it for the real reason. Right. Mm-hmm. I was still young, mm-hmm. so didn't really understand the importance of doing this. Yeah. And then I had the incredible opportunity to move to Mombasa mm-hmm. um, at the Alkan Academy. So the Alkan Academy is part of the Alkan Development Network, yes. um, which was started by His Highness the Alkan. And mm-hmm. the whole idea of the school is to provide quality education for uh, people in countries that don't have access to the best education. Mm-hmm. And so we were, you know, learning, uh, having IB level education. Yeah. Um, but the real part of the school is they really teach you different kind of values. Um, and so leadership, service, starting your own projects. It was more about, it was more than just going to class. It was yeah. more so as a person, as a holistic person. How mm-hmm. are you uh, growing as an individual? And it was a boarding school. And so... As part of my time there, I had gone there for my first year. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, actually on the last day of school, there was a dengue fever and dengue fever outbreak in Mombasa. Yeah. By the way, tell us about that. What is dengue fever? Like what happens? (laughs) What happens to your body? I want to know all that. Yeah. So so dengue fever is, uh, it's caused by, it's just any other virus. So it's like, Mm -hmm. think of it as like malaria, but 10x malaria. Mm. So what it does is, if you get the virus, uh, the virus actually kills your platelets. Wow. And your platelets are what uh, create your white blood cells. Mm-hmm. Your white blood cells yeah. protect your body. Your right? antibodies, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, on the last day of school, I got dengue fever. Mm. And you know, our healthcare system, they could they didn't know what it was. Yeah. And so, and because it was the last day of school, I had to travel back with it to Tanzania. Wow. So, I so took, you out I took, here. Yeah. Is, it, the, is it communicable or is it non-communicable? No, non- non-communicable. Oh, I thought you were out here like yeah, giving, giving it to, it to everyone in the yeah, it's not like COVID. It's not like yeah. COVID. But I traveled with it 10 hours on the bus, Tamid wow, bus. I took wow. it to Dar. Wow. And then it took doctors one week in Tanzania to figure out it was dengue fever. Different, they yeah. kept saying it was infection, yeah. um, malaria. They kept saying different things. Because it's an outbreak. I mean, it's always more difficult. Exactly. To... And the outbreak was only in Mombasa. It wasn't in Dar. So they didn't know that what it what it was. Still. Yeah. Did that did that sort of, um? I mean, I know you've, you've dealt with a lot of like health um, systems and health issues and you know health advocacy but was that surprising to you or sort of disappointing that you could actually die yeah. because people don't even know whether it's in Mombasa where the systems are completely overloaded yeah. or in Tanzania where it's taking them a while to understand like what's really happening exactly does that sort of ignite something in you where you're like hold up I could die because people don't even know what was going on with me. And then also imagine those who cannot access yes, healthcare. healthcare. Exactly. So so what happened was, you know, I got this fever and then on the morning of Eid, they admitted me into the hospital. Wow. And dengue fever at the time didn't have any medication. So mm. all they do is they just regulate your platelets mm-hmm. um, and they give you all these, uh, all this medicine. So mm. I was admitted for a week. Mm-hmm. And then from the point of getting discharged, eventually I recovered. But from the point of getting discharged up to the next three weeks, mm-hmm. I went into this phase where I had no control over myself. And I don't share this story a lot, but obviously you're here, so I'm going to share it with you. I, I didn't even know yeah, this. And yeah. And so 
So I went into this phase where, again, I had no control of myself and I was acting hyper-slashed and hyperactive. Mm. And so some of the things I did, you know, I uh, apparently I was going to the mosque. So I have no recollection, but I was yeah. going to the mosque and during prayers, I stood up and started singing and shouting. Wow. I was hypersexual, so um, every time I saw a girl, even if I don't know that, I just go up and start hugging them. Yeah. Um, and that continued for a period of three weeks. Wow. And then three yeah, weeks… Yeah, because this is one of the, one of the um, uh, sort of side effects, I mean, literally, is that is that it people really your, yeah your mental capacity to be able to think exactly, and do things in the right way exactly so three yeah. weeks later i wake up on my bed um and i check the uh, date on my calendar yeah. and i'm like yo why is the date on my calendar wrong yeah. uh the last thing i remember which felt like yesterday was, yeah, was three, like weeks, three weeks ago uh, exactly so i'm waking up and i'm seeing the date and it's like oh what like uh I thought my phone is is wrong and it's acting up. So wow. I'm going to fix my calendar. Wow. And then I go on social media. I'm saying, oh, something's not adding up. So I call mm. my parents. Mm. They rush back home. And their first reaction when they ask them, what's why is my date wrong on my phone? They're like, um, they were relieved. And they were like, okay, he's finally. Yeah, he's coming to, to yeah, he's yeah, coming, he's, yeah. He's, he's coming to his conscious state of mind, right? Yeah. And so um, then they started explaining to me that I went through this whole experience and this, mm. this and this. And it took me around a period of one to two weeks to figure out what it, what actually was going on because everyone was saying something different. The doctors for dengue were saying that affected my brain. We went to a psychologist wow. and she misdiagnosed me at the time with bipolar disorder mm. and said I went through uh, a manic episode for mm. three weeks. Mm. Um, we went to, uh, my parents are religious, so we went to the Muslim sheikhs and yeah. they said I was possessed and wow. they kept reading the Quran to like me. a genie or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I went to a Reiki master and she said, uh, one of my chakras were misaligned and a negative entity passed through me. And so everyone had a different theory and I didn't know what to believe. Hold up. When you're going through all of this, I mean, maybe when you look at it later, it feels like a phase of your life. But, yeah. but how do you? How does a young person like yourself get out of such a really monumental time in their life where if not for anything, you would probably have not gotten out? Exactly. Because then what if this, as I call manic episode, what if you actually ended up dying by suicide? I mean, you really, there's so much that could have happened yeah. that would not be having this conversation with exactly. you today. Exactly. You'd have probably maimed yourself for life, disabled yourself. I mean, so many things have happened. But when you look back as someone who's as passionate as you are, how, what does that make you feel or think? Like, this, this, these people didn't know jack all about treating me. Like, how does yeah. that make you feel? Yeah, exactly. You know, I, at the time, I think it was just, Everyone had a different theory. Yeah. And everyone around me, there because there are a lot of situations where, as you said, I could have lost my life or I could yeah. have done something extremely. I, I mean, could have, or, or people I could have been have like, taken to jail, been, been like beaten up exactly, in the streets. So, yeah. So many different things, right? But as I was going through all of that, I think after that period of two weeks when mm -hmm. I, started, I started finally, you know, joining the dots, I was yeah. like, okay, I. One, I'm, it's, I felt like it was some sort of wake-up call. Yeah. And it was some sort of like, shit, I had to go through this in yeah. order for me to open my eyes yeah. to, to a bigger picture, right? Yeah. And so, um, and it, I also felt like, I don't know, it felt like it was meant to happen this way for some yeah. reason. And yeah. so, um, it, was, it was really weird. But as I started recovering... Um, my parents didn't want to send me back to school because I was like, yeah. oh, if something happens again, again who's going to take yeah, care of you? Yeah. But I somehow convinced them and I went back to school and I realized I came so close to, you know, going through an experience of maybe death, maybe something else, that this is a wake-up and this is a second chance. So when this happens to you, I mean, do you then, does it alter your life sort of... Uh, 
purpose, belief, and and thinking. Because when such a really huge monumental things happen to people, whether it's an accident, whether it's a chance meeting, whether it's a dream event, sometimes yeah. something as minute as a light bulb moment, yeah. you realize, you know what? Maybe I need to be kinder to people. Maybe I need to give more. Maybe all these things I hold dear to me are so useless. Exactly. You know? What does that do? to you now as a human being and as this young kid who I don't want to speak on your behalf but who might sort of be experiencing a bit of privilege yeah. and then realizes oh my god all this was about to be taken away and by people who whose job was to find out what's the problem who just couldn't find the yeah. problem yeah exactly so the two reflections I had was one now that I'm able to look back is one because I didn't have any control over myself for three weeks, yeah. I wanted to have control of everything in my life moving forward. Mm. And the second thing was, it made me realize that I was put into this world for a bigger purpose than myself. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I overcame the situation was because up to that point in my life, I hadn't fulfilled that purpose. Yeah. And so everything moving forward would be working towards that purpose and so I go back to school and um, it was coincidental now looking back if you connect the dots but I had an opportunity to start up a school project Mm -hmm. um, in grade 9 and 10 you're meant to do a project I could do anything Mm -hmm. with my choice and Mm -hmm. as I was going through my ideation session Mm -hmm. um, I I was scrolling through Facebook actually and I watched this documentary on Al Jazeera uh, named India's Menstruation Man Mm -hmm. now being a 15 year old boy at the time I never learned about periods or menstruation as you know in our context there's not something as boys we talk exactly, about right yeah, yeah. and so first day I'm watching this documentary and I was so surprised at finding out you know that so many people around the world are going through this issue of not having access to products mm. and so I have a conversation with my mom about it and she told me that when she was younger she didn't have proper access to products when she grew up in a single parent household mm. um, and there was a point where she couldn't afford these products and she used old blankets and old cloths which was you know unsanitary unhygienic wow. and uncomfortable and so mm. I'm like I just watched this documentary I am having this conversation with my mom I need to do something about this yeah. I go online I do my research and I see the stats and it says 500 million menstruators around the world don't have access in Africa wow. an average of 1 in 10 wow. menstruators don't have access I think yeah. in East Africa it's like 65% of the menstruators mm. and I'm like these numbers are out there but no one's doing anything yeah. about it yeah. and why Why is it such a big issue but I've never heard about it in my whole thing life was, last week we were talking about with <laughs> with your very very good friend whose name I don't want to mess up Vedanshi which is we are obsessed with numbers exactly we love to talk about numbers you know we like you know the government uh, institutions and all these people like to say you know 65% of school going kids and I'm like this is a minister of education yeah. telling us this yeah Tell us what are you gonna do Yo. to bring it to 23? Like, if you don't make bring it to 20%, you should resign, you know. Exactly. But no, they just wanna give us big numbers. So they wanna be, they wanna simplify the mathematics without doing anything. Exactly. And here you as a 15-year-old bothered by yeah. the numbers, and you're like, I wanna do something about exactly. it. Exactly. And mm. so yeah, I, I I see these numbers online, and my first instinct was I gotta do research on potential solutions out there. And so I see all these solutions, disposable pads, tampons, menstrual cups. And then I saw reusable menstrual products and I'm like, yeah. wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Uh, something I've not seen a lot and it's also innovative and it's sustainable, which which I thought really stood out to me. And so yeah. I go online, see all the different prototypes and uh, my first instinct was I got to make a product of my own. Mm. It's that entrepreneurial mm. spirit coming out, right? Mm. And so um, I worked with a local tailor, learned how to stitch. They came up with all the designs yeah. and uh, tested, iterated, went through that whole process and eventually came with a product that would last for six months. Mm. Um, and I was able to distribute it in my... Uh, in my community in Moshi in Tanzania, yeah. um, I was able to support 22 menstruators there. 
that marked the end of my school project. Uh, I presented about it. I call it the iPad at the time because like pad. Ah, okay, um, okay, it was, get it. Uh, individual that called mm-hmm. the iPad. Not, that's and, young. That's fresh. <laughs> and I put a I put a picture right next to uh, Steve Jobs presenting yeah. his iPad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and when you the, the the beauty about it is I mean it could be misconstrued by other people, but that when you're young yeah. and you have the intention. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Don't let anybody tell you. Oh no, this sounds wrong. Yeah. This is politically incorrect. Do it. Yeah. Learn as you go. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, presented about it and so forth. And I couldn't really end it at that point. Um, I got a good grade for my project. Yeah. Um, but then I went back to that community and I talked to them and I was like, "What did you think of this?" And there were a couple of realizations after having a conversation with them that I learned. One, that uh, I actually contributed more to the problem than solving it. In the sense that after the six months of this product mm. uh, that will last, after those six months, these menstruators will go back to their same old methods. And in reality, I just created like this dependency syndrome mm-hmm. where they keep depending on someone else mm-hmm. to come and help them. And so I didn't really solve the root cause of the problem. Yeah. Second realization I had is I spent one year working on this mm-hmm. and there were 500 million people out there that still don't have access to this product. Um, I grew a passion for this topic and I wanted to do something about this. And so I go back to school um, I started up a small team of around 7 to 10 volunteers at the time and we changed two main things. One, we changed our product mm-hmm. and so now our product lasts three years, 100% biodegradable, wow. extremely cost-effective and embarrassment-free. And the wow. good thing about that is we worked with a local group of women with disabilities um, to actually redesign this product yeah. um, and, and we learned so much from them and they were gaining uh, employment from actually making this product. Yeah. The second thing we changed was um, the, the approach that we had and so now instead of just going to a community and distributing products and taking a bunch of pictures. Yeah. We'll go in there, we'll spend time with them, understand their context, build a relationship with them, and then have an educational workshop where we'll teach both boys and girls about mm-hmm. this topic. Because mm-hmm. usually it's not part of a school curriculum. But then what we'll also do is we'll give them the product and teach them how to uh, use, wash, and make their own. Mm. Now the good thing about mm. this is it's this whole idea of don't give a man a fish, teach them how to teach fish. Teach them how to fish. And so when you do that, you're really planting a seed and empowering the community to help themselves. Mm-hmm. So that I know after this, the three years that the product will last, they will be uh, self self sustainable, yeah. right? And 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 they won't depend on someone else to come and help them. Yeah. And and. I and then we end with a celebration review phase where we assess the impact of our work. Yeah, it's been what six years now. Yeah, uh, since we made that iteration, and I've been so privileged to have the opportunity. Um, this school project that I'm talking about has now helped over twenty thousand people wow. in ten countries around the wow. world. Wow! Wow! And and we have an amazing team of hundred and fifty plus volunteers, young yeah. people in their yeah. own communities. Helping. Twenty thousand people is seems like just a number you know I mean people normally equate these numbers to like money yeah and you know it's oh I could access that or whatever but it's the it's the it's the cyclical effect that it has on homes on communities on a human being and I think what's important is what I've realized is from from last week um, <laughs> to now with you and to next week with Arpan is the concept of bringing this back home to the human being mm. that Numbers are amazing. Touching lives is great. But we, even if it's three people, 
20,000 is 20,000 people mm. who now can stay in class, mm. who now can focus more in, in the activities, who now can be able to dream more, think more, visualize more because somebody has allowed them to at least remove some burden exactly. from them. So I, I feel like we normally say these numbers and move like yeah. it's a small thing. But I mean, I also want to commend you because that's not a small deal exactly. at all. And, and it might be 20,000 to you, but it might be 100k yeah. to the community at yeah. home because of the number of people whose lives didn't stop yeah. because of one uh, one situation in their life, which is normal for every uh, menstruating girl, lady and woman yeah. of age. So it's really, really important that we remind ourselves that what you did wasn't a small feat and what you're still doing. And I think it's, it's phenomenal. Exactly. I know you have a plan to reach a million people around the world. I mean, are you still on course? Yeah. Uh, is this still the vision, the dream? And if so, how are you going about it? Yeah, no. So, you know, thinking back about going back to the story of me almost, you know, going through the experience of dengue fever yeah. and almost potentially losing my life, right? Yeah. I think now looking back, I, I'm, I'm able to say that this going on this path and it's crazy when you look back and connect the dots, but yeah. it's really put me on this journey of of thinking about my purpose and thinking about how is it that I can contribute on on scale on this world and the reason why I went through that experience was I feel like there was a there was seed planted in me mm. and and I have now this responsibility it wasn't in vain. exactly yeah. exactly and so in terms of the project um, and even just touching on your point you know you we talked about this twenty thousand people but each one of these people has a story right and so yeah. we have worked with everyone from you know women in prisons to mm. sex workers mm. to um, uh, refugees that were escaping the war in Ukraine mm -hmm. to earthquake victims in Turkey mm. um, to people in North America yeah. uh, in Bangladesh India mm. Pakistan all these mm. different kind of people and they all have a unique story and the fact that we're able to come up with a solution that caters for that I think has definitely been something I'm, I feel so privileged about um, and then going back to your question on, on what the plan is moving forward I yeah. think Going through this experience and, and working on, on this topic in the nonprofit world has definitely opened my eyes to a lot of systemic issues. And I think if I really want to solve this issue or any other issue, there's a lot of systems change that need to happen, mm -hmm, right? And so mm -hmm. when I work with all these nonprofits in this space, I realized that all of them were struggling with uh, sustainable sources of funding. Yeah. And nonprofits are so dependent on external people to come and support them yeah. for them to be able to do the work they're doing. Yeah. I also realized and I came up with my own theory of change that in order for you to make a systemic level change, you got to involve everyone in an economy. You got to involve media. Mm. You got to involve government. Mm. You got to involve nonprofits. You mm -hmm. got to involve young people. Mm -hmm. You got to involve businesses. Right? Yeah. And, and I realized that you're not able to make change in a vacuum. You got to involve all these people. Mm -hmm. And that is what led me to, my, to what I'm working right now. And yeah. so... Currently, uh, you know, I went to Canada and had all this exposure, got, got to work with all these different nonprofits and climate, health, poverty, education, mm -hmm. and came up to this realization of sustainable source of funding. And I'm like, how can I use now business and technology to solve this issue um, and really create that systems level change? Mm. And so um, currently I'm, I'm the co-founder and chief impact officer of a company called Green Apple Gives. Mm -hmm. And primarily... Green Apple what? Green Apple Gives. You know, I keep trying to make that joke. <laughs> so I want you to continue the story. 
They say Anak pula day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> we say we're not doing the joke. So he, yeah, I'm trying to look for that joke. It's refusing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a <laughs> <laughs> it's not connecting. It's not connecting. But um, but here you decide. No, 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 no. I am going to keep really keep doctors out of business yeah. by having an initiative <laughs> that is not about apples, apples. So what is it about? Yeah, let's yeah. now go back to the story. <laughs> yeah. So flat joke. Well, so flat joke. Green Green Apple gives is a platform that works with these nonprofits, um, and it works towards empowering these nonprofits and their existing donor base, uh, and empowering them through spare change roundups mm-hmm. and cashback rewards. Mm-hmm. And so, what it does is, we're really trying to envision a world in which, with every transaction that you do, yeah, because um, the way the platform works is, you link your credit card, uh, you set your donation settings, mm-hmm. and then with every transaction that you can do, you can round up. And wow. if you shop at any of our business partners, yeah. you get cashback rewards that you can decide to donate. Mm-hmm. And we're envisioning a world that in with, with each transaction, we can make a kinder place. And so you, what we're really seeing happening on our platform is you have a local business, you have a local nonprofit or let's say a food bank, yeah. and you have someone local in, in your community, yeah. let's say here in Nairobi. Yeah. And when people interact on our platform, Everyone's benefiting from every transaction that's made, okay. and we're creating this hyper-local economy where so, it's like a win-win-win situation. So let's like break down. Let's bring it down now to more local like explanation. Because I mean, what you're doing is, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's like I feel like it didn't have to take you to do it. Yeah, you and your co-founder. I feel like some of the the, the thing is, and and <laughs> and what Vedanshi said last week. I feel some of these things. Like, like you, your business, your business uh, sort of model shouldn't exist because we should be doing this already. Anyways, like, yeah. With the Mastercards and the Visas yeah. and, and and iPads yeah. and you know should be yeah. out here every time they launch a new iPad. You know, they should, it, give, it, back. Yeah. They should give back to all the girls who can't get their parts yeah. or whatever. Um, <laughs> the idea that that you're you're doing this and let's like we said let's localize it now. Let's bring it here. So we had Nairobi Street Kitchen for example. So when I pay for a meal you're saying that if a meal is 3,000 Kenya shillings and so I am, no, no, let, let me let me explain, yeah, explain so let's it. say you just bought this hot chocolate right now right okay, yes let's say you spent uh, 240 baht for this okay, right okay you have used your uh, DTB uh, visa mm-hmm, card to pay mm-hmm, for it right mm-hmm. me Loki you know shouting out DTB here uh, me uh, I'm, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stand big boy but, uh, <laughs> but I'm allowing you so let's say you spend uh, 240 on this thing right yeah um, you have tapped your visa card and it's uh, now what and you use our platform because you already linked your card there right what our platform does is you have set your settings to uh, I'm going to round out to the nearest 100 okay so with this 240 shillings purchase yeah. you would round up to 300 and 60 shillings will go to for the menstruator okay um, and the good thing is it all happens in the cloud so you mm. won't even realize it mm. and this happens with every transaction until mm-hmm. you set your goal let's say every month you want to yeah. donate 10,000 shillings yeah this will keep happening with every transaction uh, okay okay and so then you, at fuel, the end of the- you fuel 1800 shillings 200 bob goes exactly. to exactly I mean it also makes you very intentional when you actually spend money exactly because I mean you could easily forget that you've been doing it yeah but then you always tell yourself I want to pay a bit more for what I'm about to buy exactly so that it can be rounded off to the nearest exactly. and it's just rounded up it's just yeah. round up your spare change right yeah. it's just the change that you may probably and this not could even be, use this could be everything including including 
banks. Exactly. It could be. It could go all the way to like banks in terms of expenditure, in terms of their profit and loss exactly. accounts. And they say if we make a profit of one billion shillings this year, yeah, we're gonna donate the next. Exactly. If it's one point one billion. It means that 900 million is gonna go back exactly. into. So I mean, exactly. it's very intentional. Exactly, and and we're really creating now this hyper local economy where it's like everyone's everyone's winning from everything that you do. Mm. And so you having a good time Nairobi Street Kitchen on a Thursday, you're not yeah. gonna feel bad yeah. for doing that because mm. even with that, you're giving back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 you're really then. Connecting those dots and yeah. that bridge between those yeah. that have and those that don't have, right? and and, I, and a huge for me here also the the idea of giving comes a lot of times a lot of doubt, but when you know someone like Nairobi City Kitchen or I, I mean some other conglomerate or whatever, they're part of this whole project. It means that you, it's really lending a voice to that to exactly. that initiative. So I know that NSK, for example, would never be a part of an organization which is. Fleecing people's exactly. money, so exactly. it's very believable. Exactly, and I, you, you don't have to go around shopping. Exactly, for places people's help. And you would want to go spend your money at Nairobi Street Kitchen because you know they're gonna be doing that. Thank right? you. And so, so everyone, everyone's <laughs> winning in this situation. And the question here is, then why aren't we doing more of this? Why is it taking uh, <laughs> a twelve-year-old like you, <laughs> a twelve-year-old-looking man like you, to do this? Why? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of. I, as we talk about systems, right? And yeah. uh, unfortunately, our systems—we're so used to doing things the old way. And, yeah. Um, but I'm I'm very hopeful. I think we're moving towards the right direction. Yeah. And, um, the currency of success is progress, right? And mm. so, even us having this conversation right now yeah. is us making. You just progress. wait, hold up! You just threw in deep words, <laughs> and then you wanna pretend like you didn't say. You said the currency of success is what? Progress. Hello. <laughs> I I know I, I saw you holding your phone. I'm hundred percent sure that Vedan she sent you those. <laughs> she sent you that line. There's, I've never had you be so deep. So Vedan wherever you are, thank you for making this man look smart, look and sound smart. So, <laughs> but uh, you know also as we uh, as you say the what did you say about currencies progress? I said the currency of success is progress, and uh-huh. so us even having this conversation right now is progress on its own, right? And, yeah. Um. It definitely. It's it's a step at a time, and yeah. and and we're on the journey towards doing that. And going yeah. back to purpose and talking about me going through that experience, me doing this right now is yeah. me working towards my my purpose. And and I believe I'm 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 on a very ambitious mission to yeah. one day hopefully help one billion people around the world. Wow. And, um. Maybe maybe this will will help me get there. And and I'm sure there's. There's way more stuff down the line um, exactly, that I'll yeah. get to experience. Before we go into what the plan is and the future for you in terms of uh, some of your, you know, what you visualize that you're planning to do, let's go back a little bit to your parents. I mean, I've realized one of the things about you and Vedanshi are my youngest mm. uh, guests so far. One of the things I've realized, which for me comes out very naturally, is how important it is for you and how your parents have played a huge pivotal role yeah. in who you've become I definitely, as, as, as the young. Yeah, I definitely shout them out. I feel like they made a lot of sacrifices for me to even get to this point, right? Like, yeah. um, my parents um, made a lot of sacrifices to move to East Africa from India um, for a better livelihood. My dad got a job um, when he was my age and had to move wow. across the world and wow. got married to my, my mom who was pretty young. And um, they've worked like uh, full-time jobs, um, hours in the office yeah. uh, to grind it out for, for me to 
get these opportunities. And I think most importantly, in terms of their parenting style, they've really allowed me to get these opportunities and, and always supported me throughout that process and that value of service and giving back. And even going back to my religious community, being an Ismaili Muslim, I feel like, you know, those values of, of just service and giving back was definitely ingrained in me and I'm mm. definitely grateful for it. And again, I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for the support of so many people. So, yeah. for example, you coming and flying out all the way to Mombasa yeah. um, and using your platform to uh, to really give a platform to a 17-year-old boy that was doing mm. a project. Yeah. That's something that's not common, right? Yeah. And so, it's people like you and people like uh, my parents and people in my community have really used... Um, whatever they had to to open doors for me and, and make yeah. this possible and that's something I'm definitely grateful for. Yeah, but also I mean my interaction with you the first time when you when you emailed me and told me I mean you wrote a whole email I was so sure I was like this teacher must be a handful. This email is so long. I mean you emailed me and told me about hi and you know we've seen some of the work you do and you know we'd really love to have you at Khan Academy Mombasa. And then, you know, explain, and I'm like, this guy is saying he's a student, but I feel like it's a teacher who wrote the email. Well, Only for you guys pay for the flights and then for me to end up in your school and to really see the work that you were doing, I got to visit the, the ladies and the differently abled ladies who are the ones who are making the pads. I got to visit schools where you guys were supporting. I mean, it was a bit surreal for me yeah. because you always feel like kids need to be a part of kid-like initiatives yeah you know yeah. like you guys need uh, probably come to your school for some landscaping yeah you know thingy or like a musical yeah, yeah. you guys have some songs to present to us and yeah it's club for you guys and yeah. oh you'll be a good singer but yeah. in my heart i'm like oh my god this child should never sing again but they're <laughs> a child let them sing <laughs> so, yeah but you were doing such phenomenal stuff that i felt like for me i really had to be a part of and it, it was quite it was quite um it was quite eye-opening. Yeah. And it also, the thing is, when you're older, like myself, you then ask yourself, if he can do it, then what's stopping me from supporting him? Because he's already doing what I should be doing. Exactly, yeah. So, again, now when we look to the future, so once again, before I, I you know, sort of drive off that point, is good job. I mean, you've always been such a kind kid. You've always been respectful. You've always been who you are. And I, and even when I meet you, even though I've, I've, I've now in touch with you since you came back to Nairobi we've been having conversations where I'm telling you I don't want you to change mm. I want you to continue being silly in the sense that you know asking questions and wanting to know what does this do and I saw you doing this what does it mean mm. I saw you working in this organization because that childlike attitude mm. is what gets you far mm. it allows you to constantly be a sponge and grow and yeah. take in things where you feel like I know everything now yeah. you know so it's good to stay childlike so be like a child yeah but no, don't it's not, for, not yeah. forever it's definitely something I fear like how like yes having some in some definition of success it looks like you know I've yeah. had all these opportunities yeah. and, and now I feel like the bar is only set higher for what that yeah. next thing is yeah. right? and so for me I always reflect on how, how I need to make sure I'm not complacent mm. and all these opportunities I've got, how do I continue to use it to yeah. amplify and move forward and yeah. make progress as we talked about, right? I, lo so, I love it. Um, it's one of my fears, you know, going from, they say going from rags to riches, but also in riches to rags, right? It's, yeah. it's something I always think about, but it's it's also, that's what energizes me and, and keeps pushing me to, you know, do more and, and make yeah. progress. You know, they say fear is false evidence appearing real. Mm. So all you gotta do is remember that you're the one who's creating all this evidence mm. and 
you know, making a case in a court of law. Mm. This is what happened, and you know, and the court is thinking there is no case here. Yeah. You're you're thinking all these things. Yeah. So let I hope that you get to hurdle over all your fears. As we conclude, tell me about what you think your family will look like based on how you know you've been raised. I want because your mom asked me to ask you this question. <laughs> okay. Like, how does your family look like? Like, are you gonna have like 19 children running around the house? Um. <laughs> what do you want your kids to believe in? How do you want yeah. them to be raised? Yeah. I mean, it's always we always uh, it's always nice sometimes to picture that. Yeah. Just so we can tell ourselves, wow. This is how I. This is how I. I think. Yeah. yeah. I think. I think there's a couple of things. I if if I had kids, the certain principles I try to like uh, really embody into them. So one, I've always believed in this idea of the energies and the purpose, not the plan, right? Yeah. And I know we have dropped this energies and the purpose, not the plan. <laughs> another, another one, another one. Um, by Zian. And so, so just this idea of like you know. Um, really focusing on purpose and and reflecting that on an early age. I don't want anyone to go through an experience that I went through in order for them to wake up mm. or in order for them to uh, have that light bulb moment. Yeah. Um, maybe this listening to this conversation yeah. could be that moment for them. Yeah. And so really focusing on purpose. And once you figure that out, you like the plan. Everything will just work out and yeah. magic just happens, right? Yeah. I think the second thing is. My grade three teacher always used to tell me that tomorrow never comes, mm. and so and that she used to tell me that when I used to submit my homework late because mm. I was, I used to be like I'll submit tomorrow, it tomorrow, yeah. like tomorrow never comes. But that really st- stuck with me mm. um, because now I believe that if you have an idea or you have a passion or there's something that you want to do, you don't have to wait until tomorrow. Mm. You have to start today. And as young people, if there's a young person listening to this, we're often referred to as leaders of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I truly believe we're not only leaders of tomorrow, mm-hmm. but we're leaders of today. Mm. So if you have an idea you uh, have a passion or you know want to start something you start today at this moment because tomorrow yeah. will never come yeah and the last thing is just you know um, just really focusing on privilege and, and giving back and service um, and most recently I've embraced this idea of planting seeds right mm-hmm. um, with every conversation just think about how is it that you can plant a seed in someone's life how is it that you can open a door for them how is it that you can give back because once you plant seeds Um, and plant all the different seeds with with the right nurturing and the right you know moments. Um, these seeds can grow and become gardens and flowers and fruits, right? Yeah. And and when it returns, it returns in tenfold, and you won't even realize it. Awesome! I hope that you find your flower <laughs> so you can pollinate <laughs> <laughs> and get us this bouquet of kids and a family. And hope <laughs> that was the cheesiest thing I've ever said. Yeah. But um, yeah, but I mean that was beautiful. Thank you, Zian, for your time. Thank you for coming back to you know retrace your roots. Yeah. You know with your former school and you know and and just always been ready to amplify not only your voice but also I mean I've met Arpan and I've also met your very very good friend uh, Vedanshi through you and and now I know all the great work that they're doing thanks to you really shouting them out and really yeah. hyping them up yeah. as if it was your own project so i think your your kids are in safe hands for sure no <laughs> thank you so much this is definitely unlocked unlocked my soul awesome um, i love I, it I, i feel like i definitely feel uh like there's a weight off my shoulders having yeah. this conversation so wow. thank you so much for giving oh. me the platform to do wow. that wow thank you so much ziad Like I told you, I mean, 
Wow. From a boy to a man. And definitely, he's given me a light bulb moment, which is the young people, the younger generation, don't really consider themselves leaders of tomorrow, but lead us into tomorrow today. Nice. So if you can do anything, then do it now. Do it today. What's your purpose? What's your reason for living? Why are you here? Why is this important to you? Why I, why do you breathe? I mean, if if we haven't learned anything from the last two episodes, I don't even know what you're, what you're thinking. Next week, I get to host somebody who's just from hiking Mount Kilimanjaro. I mean, why? I don't know why. He will tell us the why because I don't get it. I don't get it. But he did it. We'll be talking to Arpan Grover next week and he'll tell us all about Mount Kilimanjaro and those mountains that we are afraid of hiking. We'll be talking about that next week. Remember to um, stay updated, stay connected with me on social media and unlock your soul podcast on <laughs> on TikTok, on Instagram and every single streaming platform. And also you can email me at unlockyoursoulpodcast at gmail.com for anyone you'd like me to host on the show or maybe any issue you feel like is important for us to talk about. Uh, till next week, here's a snippet of my conversation with the mountaineer himself, Mr. Arpan Grover. Uh, coming back to the um, living in an uncertainty, yeah, and being, yeah, being in comfortable, in the uncomfortable, being comfortable in the being uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, that is. It's challenging because naturally, being uncomfortable is you're overthinking about mm. um, all these different things. So you have to, at least the way I approach it, is if I notice myself overthinking about yeah. things that are making me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I'll stop thinking about it. Mm. Like I'll literally just stop. Of it, it's it's better to not think about it and let it you know take a toll on your brain. Yeah. Rather than think about all the things that could go wrong, mm. because there's always so many things that can go wrong. Yeah, even true. in even when you're comfortable yeah. in comfortable settings. Yeah. If you start overthinking, like I could think about so many things right now.